first, there was the High Return Real Estate Show. Now, upgraded to the Higher Return Real Estate Show. Deeper insights, greater value. It's time to build your empire. Today, we're going to debunk the nine most common myths regarding home ownership. You know, home ownership is often considered an important part of living the American dream, right? We finish school, get married, buy a home, start a family, right? That's always kind of like the proverbial, like, oh, this is the American dream. This is the process of just what I'm supposed to do. And home ownership also comes with some biases and some information that is not exactly true. And it doesn't line up with the numbers and the reality. For example, a lot of people think of their homes as investments and they are absolutely not. In fact, they are your greatest liability. They're consumption items and much less productive assets than we choose to believe. In fact, an asset, according to the basic definition by Robert Kiyosaki of Rich Dad, Poor Dad fame, an asset is something that pays you and a liability is something that costs you typically on a monthly basis. We've owned our home. We love this home. It's our dream home. We've been here now seven years, hard to believe, but it has absolutely been an incredible liability in terms of the outgoing cash flow when you consider all the costs. Now, when we go to sell it and we realize a profit, then and only then in that moment does it convert and become an asset. But that conversion from a liability to an asset is absolutely very unknown, very much not guaranteed. In fact, very much unlikely over the course of time, even if our house appreciates in value, the cost that we incurred every month, every year, and all the things that stack up, you think about all the expenses, right? Not only that got you got your principal and interest payments, but you got taxes, you've got insurance, You've got utilities, you've got maintenance and maintenance and repairs. And then on top of that, any improvements and remodels that you want to do over the course of time, you're always going to want to be updating your home to keep it current. Those things don't always provide a return on investment or a profit. So it's not a guarantee that you'll make money on your home. Just ask everybody in 2008, 2009, if it was a guarantee. And that certainly kind of that those the two years greatly debunked the uh, myth that your home is an asset, yet still people think of it as an investment. You know, you look at the SEC's definition of an accredited investor. And an accredited investor is one that's able to do private placement deals uh, that are, you know, bigger deals and syndication deals. Well, what's an accredited investor? Well, they you have to either two hundred thousand for two years in a row as a single filer. You have to make three hundred thousand filing jointly, or a million dollars. Get this outside of your primary residence. So why is that? Well, they SEC doesn't consider your home as an asset. That otherwise, if they did, they'd say, well, if you have, you know, a million dollars of equity in your primary residence, then you're a, a million dollar net worth and you're accredited, but they don't do that. And that is the reason why that we can, you know, reasonably conclude, right? There's a lot of other ancillary expenses, you know, such as when we find we need additional furniture or maybe another card to the home's location. I don't know. There's a lot of ancillary expenses that also go along with the home. I know one of my business partners, you know, they bought a, bought this home that they really wanted to be in. I mean, it, it's kind of a dream home for them. 
young high earners, you know, 30 year old couple with uh, four kids and they want to put a pool in the house. Well, that's not an ancillary expense, but kind of, right? That's something that is definitely um, very, very costly to do. And I understand the reason why you want to enjoy the home to the max while you can with your young children, but putting a pool in is an absolute liability, right? No, there's our liabilities that I think are great things to spend money on. So I'm not against all, all liabilities. Don't misinterpret me there. Those are the type of expenses that in addition to the purchase price of the home, you know, you're going to want to do all these things add up. And by putting in a pool, you're definitely not in all likelihood going to get that back out when you go to sell. Okay. So I want to talk to you guys. Let's go through these real common real estate myths. And I want to help you debunk these. Okay. So first off, number one, renting is throwing money away. Well, this is a giant misconception. They say you can't build equity in a home by renting and you can't take advantage of the mortgage interest tax deduction. And therefore you're lighting money on fire. Well, this is simply very, very not true. <laughs> For one thing, you can build equity anywhere, not just in a home. The cash you've set aside for a down payment on a house you could easily convert and apply that toward building equity in a long-term diversified asset, like in the stock markets or crypto markets or um, in other real estate rental property or even syndication type properties. The house may or may not pan out as a good investment, as I talked about. There is a mortgage interest deduction, but there's also a lot of unrecoverable costs associated with purchasing a home. And if you look at, if you add up all the monthly costs of a home, the interest that you pay that you get to deduct, interest is very high and the mortgage is very small, right? The principal payment is very small. Yes, you get a bigger deduction in the beginning, but again, that's a that's an unrecoverable cost. Uh, whereas the principal payment, which you start off with in your home, usually starts off lower in the beginning and escalates by the very last payment. It's a hundred percent principal payment. You know that principal payment that you, that portion is building additional equity in your home, right? So that's a, certainly important, but most people never get there. Most homes don't make it past the seven-year mark. And that seven-year mark, coincidentally, is where you really start to get the advantages of the principal pay down and that building of that equity. Okay. So in addition, you have other unrecoverable costs that, like I said, property taxes, homeowners insurance, HOA fees. Um, there's regular maintenance on the property. These are all regular costs that do not increase the value of your property, but are often not considered when you make a home purchase. So number two, your home is an investment. <laughs> I think we already covered this, but you know, a home is a consumption item, not an investment. You live there. There's wear and tear. You make changes to the property to please yourself and enjoy your property, your home, not because someone else may come along and buy it at a higher price. So the sooner you start thinking of your home as a consumption item rather than an investment, the sooner you're going to be able to make rational choices about where you're going to live. Number three, your home is a forced savings account. Your home is actually a forced spending account. I see this over and over again. I have not been immune to that either. You know, we have purchased this home and then we came in and even though the home was exactly designed the way we wanted, there was still a lot of things that we added on. 
we we completely uh, redid the uh, storage room, put in a game room and sauna room down there. So we essentially took half the storage room and converted it and remodeled. We put in a new theater type setting with a whole entertainment surround sound system. We took uh, on the pool. We had to get a whole new heater and that was super expensive. We put in a generator. So there are a lot of things that we didn't have to do, right? We wanted to do them because we wanted to enjoy the home more. We weren't thinking, oh yeah, we're going to put this money into the home and this is going to force the value up eventually. We're not, we're never doing that for that reason. In fact, all the things that we've done in all reality are doing nothing more than probably just maintaining the value of the home as it goes through, you know, the wear and tear depreciation factor. Okay. So number four, house prices only go up because they're not making any more land. Well, I think that financial crisis of 2008, we're hearing that less often that house prices only go up. Up until that point, we did. You can absolutely lose money on your home. My first two homes, our house, uh, the, both those homes did not appreciate beyond what we paid for them in terms of the value of the house did not rise. So when we ended up selling the property because of selling costs, commissions to realtors, closing costs, all that, we ended up taking pretty gigantic hits on both the first two houses that we owned um, because not only the selling costs added up, but all the things that we put into the home, remodels, kitchen remodels, new carpeting, just all the, all the things, new paint, painted, like repainted the whole house, right? Interior and exterior, none of that we got back. So that was even further uh, creating losses on those two homes. Okay. Number five, mortgage interest deduction makes it cheaper to own. I believe that markets are pretty efficient. I mean, I think they can be irrational at times and that creates buying opportunities, but um, mo most of the time they're pretty efficient. So the mortgage interest deduction is all in all likelihood baked into the price of both purchase and rentals. So it may feel like you're getting a deal because you can see your taxes decline as a result of owning a home, but that does not necessarily make owning cheaper than renting. Okay, number six, renovations pay for themselves. Well, we think if we spend $60,000 updating our kitchen, <laughs> most kitchen remodels, if you really have an outdated kitchen, I mean, they are pretty saucy. Renovations cost more than the value that they add. Now, this does not mean you shouldn't renovate your home, especially if you plan on staying there for multiple more years, but you must realize that renovations like the home itself are still consumption items. You remodel because you want to, because you saved for it or you planned for it. And sometimes the renovations increase the value of the home. Most of the time, renovations just help you to maintain the value of your home by keeping it up to date with current um, market trends. Number seven, you want to pay off your mortgage as fast as you possibly can and get aggressive making additional payments. I couldn't, uh, this is the one I probably disagree with the most. And why is that? Opportunity costs. Opportunity costs rule the day. So what does that mean? Well, for example, my mortgage interest rate is 4%. If I paid that off, wish I could with cash, then that is all that cash is sitting in my home saving 4%, but I'm not able to then invest that into other equities and cryptos and properties that create 
much larger than 4% returns. Hey, thanks for supporting our show. If you want to find great rental properties that are not available to the general public, subscribe to our Insiders Club email list. Just head on over to highreturnrealestate.com and wait for the pop-up. So on my self-storage syndication deal, the average annual returns over the past 10 years have been 25%. That's across 110 deals with the guys that I invest with. 25% annualized returns. That means in four years, your money's doubling. So if I pay off my mortgage and I save that 4% in interest, that means that money is not available to be put into these other assets that can create these much larger returns. So let's just give you an example. Let's say it's 25% annualized returns. You take away 4% of the opportunity cost. That means I'm outpacing by not paying off my mortgage early and not making anything other than the minimum payments. I'm outpacing that by 21%. Now, everybody has different risk tolerance, and I understand for some, the desire is you don't feel that you can outpace 4% comfortably, then adamantly want to pay off your home and be debt-free. Look, I'm not going to argue with that, but I think that financially, the numbers don't make sense. They don't justify doing that, and it's going to make it a really tough proposition for you to create a multi-million dollar you know, net worth and portfolio and retire young financially free if you have all this money tied up into your home instead of deployed, you know, having a shot at making much larger returns. Number eight, you wanna buy at the maximum of what you can afford because you're using other people's money by taking a loan from the bank. Well, I think that that doesn't make sense at all. More debt on your balance sheet does not guarantee that more equity it will follow you. You know, I sometimes hear from, uh, people on my platform, that businesses have an optimal level of debt that allows them to grow and therefore they should too. Well, you're not taking on debt to grow your business. You're doing it because you want to buy a specific house. So the debt, the larger the debt only magnifies the risk that you're taking on. I think the biggest problem is that, and I've said this before, when you go to purchase cars, or you go to purchase homes, the big question to ask is not, should I rent or should I buy or should I lease or should I own a home or a car, right? The big question you should be asking is how much car or how much home am I buying? How big then is the uh, monthly payment that I'm responsible for in proportion to my income? So that leads into point number nine, buy at the maximum of what you can afford because your income will increase. Well, you guys know that there is absolutely no guarantee of your income increasing. If you're an entrepreneur, in fact, there's a high probability that your income will probably decrease at some point. You're going to see ups and downs and ebbs and flows and cyclical markets within your business. I have four companies, okay? One of them was just created a few months ago, so that doesn't have that big of a track record yet. But the other three that I have, they've all had their ups and their downs in income. In fact, I've seen some remarkable swings in, in all of those businesses where, you know, I've made it made huge, huge amounts in one month. And then a few months later, it's not even close. So that's the challenge, especially being an entrepreneur. 
you could be an employee and your income could absolutely drop. You could have some type of uh, health challenge or your spouse could have a health challenge or there could be some type of event in your life that causes you to have to stop working for a period of time. Your income drops when that happens. So you want to be able to be conservative with the amount that you're spending. I think the optimal, and I know this is very tough, so it's the optimal level is 10% of your total income would go towards your home. That's the optimal. That's very, I know that's good. Look, I know that's difficult. I do think that the current recommendation of 30, 35% of your total income should go towards your home is way too high. It prevents you from being able to have any investable dollars going out each month. So I think the mo- the smarter thing is around 20% or less. So if you make 100,000 a year, 20,000 of that should go towards your total home expenses, including everything, taxes, mortgage, insurance, principal and interest payments, right? And your maintenance costs, your homeowners association, you're under 20%, then you're going to have a lot more investable dollars that you're going to be able to deploy to be able to increase your net worth and your equity. Okay. Okay. So this is, those are the nine common myths. And you might think that I'm trying to dissuade you from buying a home. I am not at all. Uh, I think that if you plan, especially if you plan on being in a home for more than seven years, the numbers typically show that it's a smart idea to buy a home. The problem is so many people buy a home and in all likelihood, they're only going to be there two, three, maybe four years. So therefore the selling costs, which is again, when you go to sell your home, you have to pay costs to sell it, right? Even if you um, do a for sale by owner, you still have selling costs. Now, not as much if you don't use a listing agent in a, you know, go through the MLS system, but you still have selling costs. But most of us don't do for sale by owner. We get an agent and we do it, let them handle it. And they're professionals. They can handle all the paperwork and the showings and all of that. And I think most of the time that's very justified and they earn their money. However, that is definitely over two, three, four years of owning a home. Typically, they don't appreciate fast enough to be able to offset those selling costs. In other words, they have to, the increase of the value of the home has to exceed your selling costs. So that's why I think after seven years, 10 years is optimal. If you plan on being and living in the same place, then I think buying a home makes absolute sense. Again, you just want to be careful of the total payment relative to the income that you're earning. Okay. So equity in a home, in my opinion, and this is what we refer to as a lazy asset. Okay. So the faster that you pay off the equity in your home or pay down the mortgage, that creates equity, right? And that increases the equity that you have. So like, let's say you, you know, your home, you buy it for 300, you put 20% down, you put 60,000 in cash down to avoid principal maintenance, uh, PMI insurance, uh, principal mortgage insurance, what, what that stands for. Um, that's what they charge you because you're a little bit more risky because you didn't put as much of a down payment down. So you don't have as much equity. So you're going to be more willing to walk away if the home drops in value or if you lose your job or whatever, and you stick it to the bank, right? That's why they're charging you that PMI. If you, um, can pay down, let's say, so you paid 60,000. So now you have a $240,000 mortgage. And then after 
let's just say 10 years, you paid it down, you know, another 40,000. So now you're down to $200,000 loan balance on a $300,000 asset. Let's just say the property didn't go up in value, right? Which in all likelihood it will, but we've seen again, we've seen it where it doesn't work out that way. So now you have a hundred thousand in equity. Well, that money is just sitting there. It's a lazy asset. That, that equity is not making you anything. So what I do is pull out a home equity line of credit. And this is how I initially got started in real estate rental investing and build up my portfolio that I had today. I got a home equity line of credit. So you can borrow up to 90% of the equity that's in your home. I got that line of credit. And then I use that line of credit to put down payments on rental properties. Now I'm making 10, 15, 20% on that money instead of it just sitting there in the home, not really doing anything for me and not increasing my net worth. Hey, thanks for being a listener. To find great rental properties and become a more savvy investor, head on over to highreturnrealestate.com. That's what we call a lazy asset. And that's the primary reason that I recommend to not make the um, aggressive extra payments to pay down your mortgage sooner. By extending out your mortgage as far out as you can, you're paying off that future debt at lower valued dollars. This is important that you understand. It's critical to building wealth to understand this concept. This is why you want that low interest debt to ride out as far as you can and take that money instead of paying off that debt aggressively, invest it and create that bigger spread and outpace those percentages. I hope this helps you guys. Again, in today's market, I don't have a total opinion on, yes, does it make sense to uh, buy a home in today's market? I don't know. Market's crazy. I would tend to say, uh, you know, now's not the best time. It's totally okay to rent. But with supply of houses across the country at lows and uh, the demand for houses pretty high still, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. So I don't know um, if we're going to see any type of housing crash. I think that it's possible based on the credible frenzy that we've seen with properties getting, you know, 10 offers that hit the market and they get 10 offers, 20 offers overnight. I saw that on a rental property I just sold in Arizona. I got 13 offers in one weekend on a C-class rental property. It was crazy. So that tells me the market is pretty saucy. But again, I don't know and cannot predict with any accuracy if we're in a um, bubble or if we're not. So the best move is to do what makes sense for you financially and not take on too big of a liability and buy too much house and not necessarily buy a house just because people told you to, because you get the interest rate deduction. You want to factor all of those things in and how long you're going to plan on being there. And if you're not going to be there and you're not sure how long you're going to be there, then there's nothing wrong with renting. There's nothing wrong with buying. Just make sure that you weigh both sides of that and um, make sure that you're making the right decision for your family try to, as much as you can, remove the emotional component of, we have to have a home. We have to own a home. This is the American dream. Look, you can live the American dream a little bit later by owning a home, but I don't think that overall, uh, if you rent, that you're burning money and 
you know, burning dollar bills, throwing them out the window. I don't believe that at all because um, there's definitely, uh, as I've laid out, there's definitely pros and cons to both ways. So love to hear any feedback on this episode, any questions, feel free to reach out on Instagram, DM me. I'll be happy to answer any questions. I think I've given you a lot to kind of absorb and to think about with this topic. So with that, you guys have a great day. Hey, thanks for your support. If this episode was valuable to you, then show us some love. Subscribe and take one minute of your time to leave us a review. This is how we get the word out to help more investors. And best of all, it's good for your karma.